Hi, I'm Abby Glassenberg, and you're listening to While She Naps, a show about sewing stuffed animals and running a creative business. On today's show, I'm talking with Dawn Treacher, a UK-based artist and toy maker. I've admired Dawn's adorable sock animals for a long while. She sells her toys online under the name Treacher Creatures, and they are charming and colorful and clearly well-made. But what's made me even more impressed is the fact that Dawn has put her handmade softies through rigorous safety testing in order to have them certified to sell as toys in the UK. The process is very intense, and although it's not required to sell handmade softies in the United States, safety concerns are still very much on the top of our minds as plush makers. I'm excited to have Dawn as my guest today to learn more about her toys and toy safety regulations in the UK. Hi Dawn, it's great to have you on the show today. Hello. <laughs> okay, um, so tell me about how you began making sock creatures and how your business grew. Well, I started making sock creatures about four years ago when I discovered a little Japanese book about making toys from socks and gloves. So I bought a load of socks and I made a load from the book and then I've been hooked ever since. I started with about one or two and eventually I had a shelf full of 40 creatures and I thought, well, what am I going to do with them? And my mother said to me, well, have you considered Etsy? So I had a look at it, decided that's a good place to sell them. And so that's when Treacher Creatures was born. Wow. And I've been making them ever since. So how many years ago did you start your Etsy shop? Uh, three years ago in April, April 2010, I think it was. Okay, and you had about 40 creatures at that time, and they were all sock creatures. They were all sock creatures. Okay, terrific. All right, so, um, and you're still on Etsy. We can find your um, your shop at Treacher Creatures, and you're also on Facebook, um, and same name, Treacher Creatures, on Facebook as well, if people want to connect with you and see what your work looks like. Um, which they should because it's adorable. Um, so I love the faces on your toys and the way that you make their arms look like they're tucked into their pockets. It's so <laughs> adorable. And I think any kid or any adult, for that matter, would totally be charmed by them. So um, did you sort of your style develop over time? Oh, it has, yes. I tried all kinds of different ways of making sock creatures, but in the last two years, I pretty well have a style now, and you can usually recognize a treacher creature. Uh-huh. And um, do you, where do you buy your socks? Well, I used to buy them anywhere and everywhere I could find socks, but since I started toy testing, the socks have to be tested, so now we can only use them from a variety of stores where we've already sent those socks off for testing. So I'm a bit more limited than I used to be. Okay, so like we're going to get into talking about how these limitations have affected what you make. Um, so let's turn now to the subject of safety testing. So do you remember when did the law change? So was it, you know, after, it sounds like you had started your business already, and then after some period of time the law changed to require safety testing for handmade toys? Well, the toy safety regulations changed in 2011, but it didn't really filter down to the ha handmade market, really, until about a year ago, about May time last year. Facebook 
was absolutely awash with posts about CE testing in the UK and what we were all going to do about it. And there was a mad panic. Businesses were closing down left, right and centre on a daily basis because they just said, I can't do it. I can't comply. I have no idea where to start. And they all ceased trading. So a lot of mums working at home, making toys, just gave up. So, and so that's when, sorry? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to clarify, what does CE testing? What is CE? Um, I'm not quite sure what the CE itself stands for, but the toy safety regulations basically mean that we're trying to comply with rules that have been laid down in Europe as to recognize standards that toys placed on the market in the, U, in the EU have to comply with. Okay, and so it sounds like those were first put in place and affected the major toy manufacturers. Um, and I'm sure they had to make some significant changes. And I'm wondering what caused that to sort of filter a year later down to handmade toys. Was there a lawsuit or was there a particular incident that made all of a sudden the handmade makers feel like, uh-oh, we need to actually comply with this as well? Well, I think what basically happened was people realised that the toy safety regulations, which are called EN 71, allowed for self-testing for the first time in 2011. And so it became apparent, I think, that it was possible to do something to make your toys legal. Um, and it just seemed to be like a wave. Everybody sort of jumped on that wave to see what was possible. And that's when the Facebook groups started to build up and are now firmly established. But in the, about a year ago, there were only about 12 members on our Facebook support group, whereas there are now near like 200. Wow. Okay. And so let's just talk a little bit about these Facebook support groups. So um, so there are there's a group that's... Um, for softy makers who are going through safety testing their toys. Then there's another group for knitted and crochet toy makers. There's a dolls group. And then there's a sock animals group. Is that right? So there's sort of more than one uh, Facebook group for people who are interested in toy testing. There are. There are a number of them. Um, there's, the, there's the main public CE support Facebook group page which will then direct you to all of the um, private clothes groups that have formed around that so there is even one for wooden toys now as well that's quite new it's only been there a few weeks okay. so so people can go to that main group one and then yeah. they be able to um, apply but you're you're usually accepted into these more private ones where people can yes. feel free to ask questions that maybe they don't want you know sitting out in the public in the public eye and that kind of thing, which is why they're probably yeah. a private group. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the self-testing. So so prior to there being self-testing, you would have to send your prototype toy away and probably pay a hefty fee, correct, to get it tested by some sort of out, outside, uh, you know, testing site. Um, that is and, correct, yeah. Okay. All right, and do you know how exactly like what how much that used to cost or what that was? Um, well, they reckoned it would cost about three hundred pounds for one toy design, which uses all the same materials. Okay, so I'm imagining some of the big manufacturers that's not uh, that's not terribly you know arduous for them to pay um, and probably easier for them, but it's it makes it really impossible for uh, for a small you know home based 
softy maker to do that. So, um, so tell us about the, 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 the self-testing and the kit that you can get and, and how that works. There is a very good CE marking company called Conformance and they started, um, they're on their version three now, but they started a soft toy making pack for home workers about a year ago so that you could self-certify your own designs. And this kit lays out all the um, regulations in, in readable text in a way that you could understand. And it sets out all the tests that you need to do and how you need to do them exactly. Uh, and provides all the legal documentation that you need to keep a technical file for all of your toys. And without that kit, really, it's, it would be very difficult to do. You would have to go to the regulations and read them yourselves and try and work it out. I mean, I did do that. I have been to the British Library and I have read the toy safety regulations word for word. And they are quite long-winded and technical, but this pack actually makes sense of that for people who are trying to test at home and has made it possible. So how much does it cost to get a pack? It's 25 UK pounds plus VAT. Okay. All right. So that's not too bad. And how many toys can you test once you've got that pack? As many as you like. Okay. So that is a significant you know, improvement. So... 300 pounds to test one toy um, and then you'd have to pay that again for another style so if you did a crab and then you did a bear that's 600 whereas if you buy this it's much more reasonable once you have the equipment and the you know the legal documents and then you you can just keep going uh, at home making as many different sorts as you want there is one other expense now we can test for part, what we call part one and part two ourselves. Now that's part one is the strength tests, part two is flammability testing. What we can't do at home is part three, which is the chemical migration test, which is to check that there's no harmful heavy metals that can be sucked from the toy by a child. That still has to go out to an independent testing house, which is where the Facebook support groups come in because we have collective spending power. The tests are £60 for per brand of sock or per type of material and we can club together and we collectively have a kitty on each support group which pays for those tests to be done. Okay, so once you've tested a particular brand of sock, for example, in the Sock Animals Facebook group, um, mm -hmm. then that and, you know, then that, that's done. And, and that yes. means that sock is now, you know, free for you to use and, and whatever toy you might want going forward. That's correct. Okay. Because we've, they, they've, they've determined that the, the chemical migration is not going to happen in that particular material or in a particular stuffing material, for example. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense. So, so you're not paying every single time for every single sock, but you, you have no. to pay that one time. Okay. Yes. Okay, or for a yarn or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's go through. So tell me about this. Um, I'm looking at some pictures here of the um, of part one, which is the, the weight test. So it looks pretty, um, the, the, poor, the poor toy is being, um, is being really stretched. So tell me about a little bit about how that part works. The whole point of what we call the tension and torque test is that you're trying to ensure that the seams are strong enough to take the wear and tear of a child playing with it for a long period of time 
and so that it the seam doesn't come apart, the stitching doesn't come undone and the stuffing doesn't come out and cause a choking hazard. So to check those seams, we do we have to first of all twist them to make sure that by twisting them they don't come undone and then we have to hang seven kilograms of weight off of each main seam and attachment for 10 seconds to ensure that it doesn't come apart. And then they have to be washed and then that test has to be redone to check that washing doesn't damage or weaken the sewing of the seam. Okay, so the way you've done this, it looks like, is you've taken um, like a tote bag, like a reusable yeah. shopping bag, and you've put a lot of canned food in there, it looks like. Uh, yeah. A bunch of cans, maybe 10 or 12 uh, cans um, in there, and, and then you've got a, what are those called, a vice, I guess, um, attached to like a carabiner that's um, on the tote bag and the vise is attached to the the toy itself and all of the sort of all of the seams all of the parts where where the the, the fabric comes together and then you're just hanging him with yeah. <laughs> with the tote bag uh, and and making sure for 10 seconds that that his seams aren't going to pull apart that's correct wow and you'd be surprised how strong they are but those seams are sewn three times by hand and they are unbelievably tough. Okay, so before you started doing the safety testing, so when you first started your business on Etsy, um, did you sew th those seams three times? No, I did not. I sewed them once. Uh-huh. Okay, so this has really had an impact on how you make your toys as well. Yes, definitely. And okay. how you design them, because you design them to have as few small parts as possible and for those small parts to be able to be very securely attached. Okay, so can you give me an example, maybe recently or in the last year or two, where you, you've come up with an idea in your mind of a particular animal or toy that you wanted to make and, um, and kind of thought about it or gone about trying to make it and then realize, uh-uh, you know, this is not going to be able to handle this kind of testing, at least like the weight, the, the strength and the torque testing. Well, sock mice used to be the thing that I loved making, and I used to make them with little sculpted sock feet, and they had little pink noses and very long tails. And there's no way that design is going to survive the toy testing tests that we have to do. So it has evolved. The, the little pink nose has gone, the little pink feet have gone, and the tail has to be short and stumpy instead of long and thin, because it's the only way it'll take strength tests. Okay, so, so my designs have evolved. Right, right. It really has affected your design aesthetic and, and the way your toys mm -hmm. end up looking. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so, so we're going to get to the next part of the testing as well. But I, but just stopping here for a second, do you think? What do you? What is your feeling about? Does this really protect the public? I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that this has this changed your sock mice, for example? losing their feet, making their tails shorter, losing their pink nose. Has that, in your mind, protected children? I'm not completely convinced that the rigorous testing is necessary completely. Yes, I think it's important that the seams are very well done so that they won't come out and the stuffing won't fall out. But I think if you look at the what's available commercially, most of those toys would fail the tests I do. 
and bits fall off all the time. So I think it might be a little bit overboard, but it has made our products considerably stronger, robust, washable, which they weren't necessarily before. So I think in some respects it's a good thing, but it is a little bit OTT as well. Yeah, and um, I, I wonder about those, because you're right, those commercially made toys. I mean, for example, toys that my kids win at carnivals, you know, where, I mean, they're so poorly made and um, oh, even the fabric is, is just sort of yucky, you know, fleece fabric and the seams fall apart. And I mean, clearly those haven't been through this sort of testing. Well, according to their labels, most in Britain, the ones that you buy in Britain, they do have a CE mark and they are supposed to have gone through those tests. But what generally happens is that they will test their test sample to those and then they will make them to survive those tests. But all the rest are mass produced in a factory and they don't make, they're not made to the same standard as the test one. So wow. it, it is a bit frustrating, really. It is frustrating, and, and but it also makes me think that you're almost, I mean, you are better off than buying, you know, a treacher creature for your baby than you are, you know, buying something from, from the store where, you know, you're, as you're saying, the prototype was tested properly, but the, the rest of them probably weren't. Mm. You know, right. so in that way, it sort of is, is in our favor as softy makers, especially, you know, in the, it's the uh, especially soft makers in the UK have gone through this testing because we know that, you know, hey, these have been really rigorously tested one by one. Exactly. Um, all right. So let's take a look at the next stage here. So, um, so here's the wash and the dry. I see. Okay. Now the next one here, this poor toy He's been lit on fire. Um, so you have like um, a, it's like sort of a stand that you might use in a chemistry lab or something that might hold a, a test tube. Um, and it, but yet it's holding, it's holding one of your sock creatures, and he's been, um, he's been singed all over. So tell me about about this stage. The flammability test. Once we've washed the toy. It then has to be tested to see what the burn rate would be. The idea is that if a toy were to catch fire, a child needs enough time to drop it so that they don't become injured by the flame. So we're looking at whether or not the burn rate mean, makes um, it fits within the acceptable limits. So we have to take a blowtorch to a toy and we have to hold that blowtorch on that toy for three seconds and then watch it burn until it burns to the top of the toy or sometimes it, it, it self-extinguishes and it puts the flame out. And then we have to calculate how long it took to burn the distance that it did burn and check it's well within limits. Okay, wow. I mean, I guess if you think about it, I mean, I have three young children and you know, they play and, I mean, God forbid, but it could happen, right? Like something could accidentally, you know, get, you know, touched by the stove or, you know, could be lit on fire in some way. Um, and and it's true, like they, they would need to, to drop it in time to not have it sort of, you know, explode right right in their faces or something like that. I mean, that, that could be really horrible. I've never, I've never even considered this as something that that I should be thinking about. Oh yeah. 
I mean, if they were to drag a, a toy in front of a fire that didn't have a guard on it, could ca it could catch light. That's right, right, exactly, from the fireplace in the winter or, you know, who mm. knows. Cigarette, um, cigarette so, that somebody's carrying. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, who knows? All, you know, all kinds of things happen. Once you have kids, you start to see the most mm. random things happen. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, so that, that, that could be a freak accident. So, um, so the, the flammability test, has that, I mean, clearly that's made you select particular socks um, and perhaps particular stuffing choices that, that are going to be able to pass this test. But has that changed your, you know, your designs in any, in any way? Not really, because you tend to find that socks that have been made in Europe for the UK market are already probably tested for flammability. I think most manufacturers who sell in the UK high street stores are not going to have a product that can combust. And we haven't had a single sock fail um, a flammability test at all from any of the stores or any of the brands that we've tested. So they wonder, all stand way, way within limits. Okay. So I wonder whether in some ways you're sort of lucky that so much of your business is based on sock creatures. Yes. Possibly. Because that... That's really don't burn that much. Yeah, and that material unlike a, a sort of raw material, like a, a bolt of fabric, for example, a sock mm. has already been tested to be worn by a person and that kind of thing. I wonder if that helps. I think it does. I think the majority of the, of the socks that are placed on the market have already been passed in that respect. It's just that the companies will not admit that they've done it. We've tried contacting companies and asking them and they won't tell you anything about the testing their products go through. I wonder if they're afraid of liability issue. Probably worried, yes, that they're not covered insurance-wise. Right, so you have to go back and retest, even though those socks have probably already been tested, and they've, and from your experience, all of them pass, but you have to go back and do it again because the companies won't share that information. Exactly, it's like the wool companies, the yarn companies. We've tested an awful lot of yarns, but if you actually contact the companies, none of them will admit to testing anything. Okay, so there must be a reason. Their, their legal team is telling them not to share that information, and it seems to be a, an across-the-board policy. Like, mm. we, are not, you know, we are not as a company to share this information with anybody. So, interesting. There must be some sort of reasoning behind that, which, which we can only guess at. But, um, okay, so how many um, of your designs have you had tested fully to date? I have fully tested 14 designs so far, but that actually makes more than 14 because if you test one main design, you can then make a minor variation without having to completely retest. Okay, so tell me about a minor variation that you've made. So, for example, if I test a sock hamster, its basic construction is exactly the same as a sock bear. The only difference is I needle sculpted the face of a hamster, but not the bear, and I needle felt the bear's legs, which I don't do the hamster. Other than that, it is exactly the same design, and therefore I have one test and one technical file for a hamster that covers a hamster and a bear. <laughs> okay. All right, so that's kind of good because... Well, well, that's basically what I've been trying to do. If, if I make a creature, I can then, on the main basic shape, adapt it slightly to be able to make very similar designs using just one technical file because the technical file is quite a 
pain to make. It's, it's very long-winded what we have to put in it. And we have to keep our technical file for 10 years, and I've just got a mound of paperwork. I bet. Um, you know, what's funny, what strikes me about that, though, is as a, as a business person, um, it does in some ways sort of make sense to make a design and make a variation on that design and and produce both of those as separate designs you know I mean it, it sort of does make sense as far as an efficient and making things efficiently and um, it may not be you know your first choice but to make a hamster and then sort of change the hamster into a bear uh, I don't know do you feel like it sort of it, it, it sort of works um, you know for making your business more efficient well, it does. I mean, I've done the same with the fleece bear. I make a fleece bear, but then I also adapt that very, very, you know, in minor ways to make a fleece gorilla. It's actually the same pattern and the same technical file again. All I've done is change the um, applique of the face, and the ears are in a slightly different position. But it's pretty much the same toy, and it's tested the same. Yeah, I mean, I do that often, you know, and it, you can come up yeah. with something fresh without really having to do all that much work. I mean, safety testing mm -hmm. or no, it's it sort of makes sense as a, from a design perspective. Mm. Um, all right, so are there anything else? I mean, when you think about this this sort of process that you've been through um, and, and concerns that people express in, in the Facebook group that you're on, um, anything else that you think people should know about this or, or, or even some advice to... Uh, people who live outside of the UK and make softies that you know that you might be able to apply to, to their businesses. I think the only problem with the CE testing is I don't mind doing it, and I think it's helped make sure I have a very good standard product. But what it has done is it has really hampered my ability to make one of a kind creatures, which is what I used to do. Now to do all that testing and have a design file for just one single toy is no longer possible. So now, some of the fun has definitely gone, some of the variety has gone, because I'm producing a lot that are very similar, because they have to be tested, whereas before every single one would be unique and completely different. Right. So, that it, it can be very limiting. Now, in order to make a one-of-a-kind creature and sell it, you would have to then say that it's for adults only. Is that is that right? That is right. I still do do a range of what I call soft sculpture creatures, which are one-of-a-kind. Um, they're not tested for toys. I can't market them for a toy. They have to be a lot more expensive than a toy. They have to be clearly labelled. And, it, and it's a grey area as well. In, in, in the UK... There's a very fine line between what's an ornament and what's a toy. Some will argue that they're all toys and could all be seen as toys. So I've actually really stopped making soft sculptures so much. I only do the odd one or two now, whereas I used to do them all the time because it's just I'm not too sure legally where they fit anymore. Uh-huh. So, so there's even like a price requirement there that's going to make you have... Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. That you have to price it like so it's well out of the range of a toy? That's correct. Wow, that's interesting. Um, so so it sounds like in some ways, although you feel like it's helped uh, make a very, you know, strong product line that, you, you know, is very durable, that it, it's also been a little bit sad. 
And it's been very sad. It's been very sad for a lot of plush designers because they no longer know whether or not what they're doing is something they can ever sell again. I can't put a soft sculpture in a UK high street store because it has to have a CE mark on it. So soft sculptures are left for Etsy and everything else has to have toy testing. And toy testing is something you have to do even if you're just selling on Etsy. You're not selling any in any stores, not doing any brick and mortar retail. You're just doing Etsy. But because you're based in Europe, you have to still do this testing. And do you think... Do you think that um, from what you've seen from just looking around, I'm sure you, you look on Etsy, um, are people, uh, you know, are you, are you alone? You're not alone, but I mean, are really, are people doing this or is everybody really doing it? Do you see people who are not complying? Oh, there's an awful lot that don't comply. There are very few UK sellers on Etsy that comply. And there are still loads on Facebook that don't. You've only got to walk down to your local craft market here and you'll just find loads of toys that haven't done it. And you think, I'm so frustrated because I've spent a year testing to try and make sure I'm doing the right thing. And there's so many people just don't bother. It's it's difficult. Right. So so they're not doing it. So it sounds like it sounds like the 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 portion of people who are doing testing are actually a minority portion. That is correct at the moment. Hmm? And and is there, I mean, is there enforcement? There is an, an agency called Trading Standards in the UK that in theory can go into any high street shop, can go onto any website or any Facebook page and they can close you down. And if you don't see Mark a toy, you can have a £5,000 fine or you can be sent to prison. But to be honest, I don't know of anybody who has been closed down. Okay, so so they're not enforcing it, essentially. And well, the reason they're not enforcing it is because although we have trading standards in, um, based in every major town in the UK, they all read the regulations differently. They all have a different interpretation. And from being a member of the Facebook groups, everyone's been to their own little trading standards office and they've all been given completely and utterly different advice. And so it's as if they're not even singing from the same hymn sheet. So it's a very confusing market at the moment. Wow. So you have erred on the side of caution. Um, I have decided, yeah. And, and that was a personal decision that you made for your business, where you decided you were going to go and, and really do this by the book. But you are actually uh, an exception. That's correct. Okay. All right, interesting. I wonder what it is about this that made you really decide to adopt it wholeheartedly when so many other people haven't. I think it's because I knew a lot of plush makers on Facebook and one by one in a space of about three weeks they were all throwing their hands up and saying I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do and quite a few of them just stopped altogether. Some of those have now restarted since joining the CE groups. And I just thought, well, I can't just sweep it under the carpet and pretend this doesn't exist. This does exist. It is an issue. What am I going to do about it? Okay. And so you went ahead and, and, and did it. I did. Yeah. And I think it's really admirable. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, just really fascinating to learn about. Um, so so and, and something that I think 
you know, handmade softy makers everywhere can think about as far as durability and the materials you're choosing, flammability, um, and, you know, sort of in how, whether or not you're really sewing those seams tightly. Um, and so to a degree, I think it is applicable to all of us who make toys and, and give them to babies or give them to children. Oh, definitely. Mm. Um, all right. Well, Don, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, I really appreciate your sharing your expertise with me. Safety is always at the top of my mind when I make toys. So this topic, uh, it really means a lot. And not just to me, but to everyone who makes things intended for children. You can find Dawn's wonderful toys at Treacher Creatures on Etsy. And keep up with her on Facebook at Treacher Creatures as well. Um, and you've been listening to While She Naps, a podcast about sewing softies and running a creative business. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I hope to see you on the blog, whilesheknaps.typepad.com. Bye.